Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have as our guests in Studio B here at uh, the UPR studios today on Access Utah, noted musicians and musicologist Hal Cannon and Gary Eller. They're on an interesting project. They're searching eastern Idaho and northern Utah for songs written before the radio era. That's before about 1923, about the early people, places, and events of the region. Such songs provide unique glimpses of the early culture of the region. And so during the day, they're scouring museums, libraries, and private collections for handwritten lyrics, uh, everything handed down from oral tradition to handwritten lyrics to formal sheet music. And in the evening, they're sharing that music through concerts. They're seeking people who wish to share early regional songs they know, and so here's your chance to uh, uh, join the program if you have a song or story, especially uh, pre-radio era, before about 1923. We'd love to have you on the program as well. You can join us at 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page or by email to upraxis at gmail.com. So we welcome in uh, Hal Cannon. Thanks for joining us. Howdy. Hal Cannon, of course, uh, you, you know him as a uh, noted uh, folklorist, uh, musicologist. Uh, he uh, plays with Philip Bimstein's Red Rock Rondo. He's a founding director of the Western Folklife Center in Elko, Nevada. And uh, the, their famous child, as, as you put it, Hal, in your biography, the Cowboy Poet Gathering. Uh, many other points in your biography. We'll talk about a few of those things. So glad to have you back in the studio. It's good to be here, Tom. Gary Eller. Uh, is from Nampa, Idaho. He leads the Idaho Songs Project. That's a uh, project's mission is to find, interpret, and preserve songs written before the radio era about Idaho's early people, places, and events. He's a member of the Idaho Humanities Council Speakers Bureau, and so you travel around uh, around Idaho speaking on these uh, topics. And you're a, a somewhat recent, by I guess uh, some uh, small community <laughs> standards, uh, transplant from West Virginia. Yeah, I've been in Idaho, retired for 10 years, but I've been coming up here running rivers for 40 years, so... That's that's how you scoped out the area, yeah. decided you want to retire here. Uh, retired from Los Alamos National Laboratory. Correct. That, that, that was where your career was. But uh, I imagine all during that time you had an interest in this, these songs? Yeah, I grew up singing uh, event ballads from the Appalachians. I knew a gazillion of them and I arrived in Idaho 10 years ago and tried to find the event ballads of Idaho, and I could hardly find any. Yeah. Uh, event ballads, these are... Story songs about... Story songs, okay. Real events. Yeah. They could be famous or, I guess, just things that happen in the, in the life of a community? Yes, right, that's right. And both, both. Typically everyday life, uh, sometimes out of the ordinary, hangings yeah. and floods and things like that, but uh, <laughs> often they're just uh, little pictures of the culture at the time. Yeah. And so now in retirement, you're able to devote uh, more time to this. Correct. That's and, right. Uh, and so you founded the uh, Idaho uh, Songs Project. So we'll, we'll talk more more about that. Uh, Hal Cannon, you have a wide range of, of interests. You've uh, devoted life to, to folklore. Where did these uh, these event ballads or other folk songs, where, did, where does that fit in? What's, what's your interest in, in these songs? Well, you know, I have a, a, a sort of wide interest in music and play a lot of different kinds of music, but one of the musics that I love the best is music of um, where I grew up, which was Utah. And um, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, in the rock and roll generation and loved rock and roll, but uh, loved folk music, too. I'm, I'm so, Hal, you were talking about uh, about folk songs and how, how you got well, into Well, maybe. I was doing a little long-winded version. But I, 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 I loved folk music uh, as I was growing up. And what I, was, I had access to was music from the American South, from Appalachia, uh, fiddle tunes, bluegrass music. And I became aware in college that my home state, Utah, had a beautiful... Uh, folk song tradition of its own. Uh, a lot of ballad singers that sang the old English uh, ballads and uh, music from the British Isles, but also uh, topical songs from uh, the pioneer era, which were really interesting. So there were event ballads about, um, you know, being attacked by the army <laughs> uh, back in the 1860s. And uh, I mean, there was uh, a beautiful tradition of Mormon folk music and and also music about uh, various aspects of life in the West. Mm. Gary Eller, your Idaho Songs Project and this project that you're doing with Hal, 
uh, is focusing on pre-radio era. Why pre-radio era? What what happened when radio came? Well, it's because uh, when radio and also mass production of recordings uh, and became available to everyday people, um, music transformed and it became homogenized to a significant degree. And today, you know, uh, there are hardly any regional distinctions in music. But that wasn't so before... Uh, uh, before about 1923, which is the kind of a arbi- sort of arbitrary cutoff day for me for when radio came to Idaho. And um, at that time, people would then start mimicking people they heard in mass media from other places. Uh, so there would be some cross-pollinization, but it wouldn't have been nearly that. I guess it would have had to have been people traveling from place to place to, to have a, a song travel around. That's pre, right. Pre yes. radio. Yeah, and yeah. since there were no hardly any recordings made in Idaho before about 1947, they didn't have any local models to um, to use. You know, after a generation or two, the chain of custody in those oral tradition songs was br- basically broken and lost. Mm. How can it same for for Utah? I guess. Not not as much. Actually, a little different in Utah. Uh, we we spent the, the day in the library uh, on Twelly yesterday and the, the DUP Musician, Museum in uh, Grantsville. And, you know, looking at those pa- papers, um, I looked at some of the musical programs and, you know, there was a, I think there was, because Utah was sort of a persecuted place, I think uh, they didn't want to seem like backwoods. And so uh, a lot of the cultural life of places like Grantsville, which was sort of on the edge of the great American desert, uh, you know, had operettas and they had a brass band with uh, popular music of the day. And they had singers who sang Victorian songs that would have been sung in St. Louis or uh, Chicago or New York. There was that tradition that was going on. And simultaneously, there was a more informal around the house uh, uh, occupational music, all sorts of things that happened on a more social level. So, uh, you know, I'd say there were, there was a popular music tradition that was very powerful in Utah. I mean, we didn't want to seem backward in Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hear some music. Well, let's jump in and not do, not neglect this. Uh, what are, what are you going to play for us? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, how about Blue Mountain? Oh, yeah, how about Blue Mountain? Can I play that thing? You bet. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about this song. Where, is this one you recently found? or what? No, no, this is, a, this is an old jam. <laughs> it's uh, called Blue Mountain. Uh, shoot, do we have an extra pick somewhere? Yeah. So uh, Gary Eller and Hal Cannon, they're musicians and musicologists. They're on a mission to find early folk songs of eastern Idaho and northern Utah. Uh, they're going to... Give us a sample of Blue Mountain. Yeah, this is a a song from Monticello, Utah. It's sort of a favorite from down there. Very informal song written by a man named Fred Keller, and uh, who I met. And I I first heard this, a folklorist named Tom Chaney um, from BYU recorded it. My home, it was in Texas. My past you must not know. I seek a sanction from the law where the sage and the pinion grow. Blue Mountain, your azure deep. Blue Mountain with sides so steep. Blue Mountain with horns head on your side. You have won my heart for the keys. Chum with Latigo Gordon. I drink at the Blue Goose Saloon. And I dance at night with the Mormon girls. And I ride home beneath the moon. Blue Mountain, your azure deep. Blue Mountains with sides so steep. Blue Mountain with horse head on your side. You have won my heart for the keep. I shop at Mon's store 
with bullet holes in the door. His calico treasure, my horse will measure when I'm drunk and I'm feeling sore. Blue Mountain, you're azure deep. Blue Mountains with sides so steep. Blue Mountain with horse head on your side. You've won my heart for to keep. Blue Mountain. That's that's lovely. It's Thank beautiful. You. Gary Eller, uh, there on the mandolin, and Hal Cannon, who was on the guitar. We would love to have your comment now at 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com. Tell us how folk music is going in your community, and perhaps you have an old song or story you'd like to share with us. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page as well. More following the break. Vladimir Putin is going through a midlife crisis. Now that his divorce is final, he got fixated on annexing a brand new shiny province. But then the thrill wore off and he started looking around for another, even younger place to invade. Hopefully he meets a mature country soon and settles down. I'm Peter Sagal. Join us for the radio show with no territorial ambitions. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the news quiz from NPR. Saturday morning at 9 and Sunday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about uh, folk songs with uh, Gary Eller and Hal Cannon. They're on a mission to uh, find early songs pre-radio era, before about 1923 of uh, eastern Idaho and northern Utah. We're talking about that. We're going to hear some music as well. Uh, So you, uh, I guess there's a lot of different ways that you discover these songs. Not only in this project, this project you're seeking them out, right? Yeah, you know, it's we've been talking about that because I, I sort of, uh, I haven't been collecting the uh, sort of antique songs of Utah for quite a long time. But when I started, when I got interested in this, I first, I was a student at the University of Utah and I'd go up to special collections and, and listen to these old recordings that Lester Hubbard had made. And then I came up to Utah State and became friends with uh, Austin and Alta Fife and and um, they had recorded in the 30s and 40s and 50s and and uh, recorded a generation of people that I just longed to meet, but they were gone. These were people, 19th century people. But I went out and recorded and uh, met people like Fred Keller, who sang uh, Blue Mountain. He was a retired judge in Price at the time, but he'd been a cowboy. And I uh, recorded uh, a, a generation of people who grew up before radio. Now, the kind of songs that we uh, are looking for now, that generation is gone. So most of uh, our searching is not oral sources, but written sources. And Gary is sort of a master at finding those kinds of things. So I've been learning from him on how to find these historical songs in different ways. Mm. Maybe you can talk a little Gary, bit. Gary, what do you do? Where do, where do you look? Well, um, you know, I've, I've over the last six years, I've collected over 200 of these pre-radio era songs, and I can count on one hand the number that are known to living people uh, before we started this project. So um, it's basically archival research uh, to first order. So we spent a lot of time in dusty old archives and special collections at places like Utah State, um, the folklore collection here, and also in very tiny libraries, sometimes in, in museums scattered around the, air, the region, you know, somebody will have a hanging folder or maybe just in a pile of paper. Voila, there's a, a great old song. Um, but one of the greatest treasure troves are old newspapers. And up until about 1910 or so, it was very common for local poetry and songs to be printed in newspapers. And then something happened in American culture about then, and then it no longer was trendy to publish local, um, what shall we call it, local verse. Yeah. In, in in local papers. Hmm. Uh, you also had poetry. You had, you had all kinds of things in the local papers. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I'm very interested in what we call, might call vernacular poetry, uh, poetry that uh, from the old days that tells stories, uh, very much like in the ballad tradition. There's a lot of sort of Victorian flowery stuff that 
I can't wade through. But yeah. there's also, we found some beautiful uh, poetry from the Tuella paper prior to 1900 uh, about events and about farm life. And uh, so it's out there. It's sort of the antecedent of cowboy poetry. Yeah. So I, I think there's probably some things we've gained with the homogenization of, of uh, you know, culture and, and press. Likely things we've lost, too, though. What, what have we lost? Well, that's, that's right. Um, for, it seems as though for every cultural gain, there's a cultural loss. And so I, mean, I just love these little snapshots of uh, local culture from the bottom up, as I would say, rather than from an academic historian's view down. And, uh, and there's certainly validity in, in each. And these songs that come from the bottom up don't necessarily represent the unvarnished truth, except perhaps to the person that wrote the song. And um, I think there's a lot to be learned uh, as we kind of look forward, forward into history by looking back and seeing that, you know, uh, the human propensity to repeat mistakes seems to be infinite. Mm. I wonder if we could pick up on that. Is, can you think of a song that... Uh sort of reflects what you're just saying yeah how let's do beautiful snow in idaho okay i love this song i found this song in um, a march 13th 1893 issue of the wood river times and wood river is the beautiful stream that goes through ketchum uh, and haley you know the the um, famous ski area in idaho and uh, this was written at the heyday of the mining days before skiing was even thought about as being a recreational thing to do. Beautiful snow in Idaho, the chorus goes, we travel the country all over to admire the beautiful snow. Sounds like a Chamber of Commerce piece, right? But this song was totally sarcastic. There was nothing beautiful about snow to a miner in Haley, Idaho in 1893. It was a struggle for survival. So uh, I'm convinced this song was sung in the saloons up in Haley uh, by Irish miners partly because they chose the melody of Rosin the Bow, which is a timeless old Irish drinking song. So um, it kind of illustrates how a phrase like beautiful snow in Idaho can have totally different meanings with time. So, were you ready to Hal? I'm ready. So we switched, I'm on guitar and Hal's on mandolin here. Well, the name of the district is Smoky, for that was its name long ago. Where the people are happy and okay In the absence of beautiful snow Well, the snow falls deep on the hilltops It slides to the valleys below Cause that's where the avalanche stops In the mountains of Idaho Way out in Idaho in the mountains of Idaho We traveled the country all over To admire the beautiful snow Our industry's mining for silver And sometimes digging for gold Sometimes the weather's delightful but often we find it too cold Well, the ladies are few but the fairest That ever graced beautiful snow On snowshoes they're surely the darest In the mountains of Idaho Way out in Idaho In the mountains of Idaho we traveled the country all over to admire the beautiful snow. Old bachelors outnumber all classes. They're always bemoaning their fate because they're not smiled on by lasses in their lonely old bachelor estate. It won't be long till they're running yeah they have decided to go having heard that the old maids are coming to the mountains of Idaho way out 
in Idaho, in the mountains of Idaho. We travel the country all over to admire the beautiful snow. If rations get scarce, it's no wonder, for the winters are dreary and long. We'll rejoice once more to hear thunder and the spring birds' welcoming song. When the cricks are full and a-runnin', the salmon come up from below. It's then we'll go fishin' and a-gunnin' in the mountains of Idaho. Way out in Idaho, in the mountains of Idaho. We traveled the country all over to admire the beautiful snow. That's wonderful. <laughs> beautiful snow. <clears throat> yeah, there is an ironic edge to that, isn't there? Absolutely. But I bet there is in Logan, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably, <laughs> probably would. Uh, if you just joined us, we're uh, hearing some uh, music uh, pre-radio era. Uh, that's the search that's going on uh, with the musicologists and musicians Hal Cannon and Gary Eller. Gary Eller based in Idaho, in Nampa. Hal Cannon is based in Utah and Virgin. <clears throat> and uh, they're on a search right now for those early songs, which uh, emblemize uh, the... Uh, I guess the, those communities, particular communities, and you've been in Rexburg and Pocatello and Soda Springs, Grantsville yesterday, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so today you'll be uh, scouring Brigham City for, for these songs. Is yes, and we're going to find some gems in Brigham City with your help, listeners. Yes, the number is 1-800-826-1495. If you know any great songs, uh, Hal Cannon and Gary Ella would be very uh, grateful uh, for you to, to pass those on. You can reach us at 1-800-826-1495. You can reach us at our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, or you can reach us on uh, email at upraxis at gmail.com. And then tomorrow, Saturday, it's uh, in Logan. And there are concerts associated with this. So you find, find songs, then you perform them. Well, we don't actually. We don't. We're not. We don't have that kind of turnaround. Okay. <laughs> I was well, hoping you did. No, I wish did, we okay. did. Last night, actually, we read a little bit of uh, a few snippets of what we'd found during the day. But we don't. A lot of times, they don't come with the music. So okay, uh, we have to cheat and make up music. Or I mean, we do. We'll do anything we can. Uh, but a lot of times, they're just written sources. But it takes a while to. Uh, to uh, get the music going, but what what we're doing is demonstrating the kinds of songs that we might find in local communities, w whether they come from Idaho or from Utah. And we're not particularly interested in sort of generic songs. I mean, we love springtime in the Rockies, but it could be anywhere. We're looking for uh, sort of these rare old gems that may have local names in them, local occurrences. They might ne need some translation and some deciphering um, to really understand, uh, but they're truly local uh, songs. So those are the kinds that we're looking for. Mm. Yeah, we, yes. we, a really good example, we ran into a ditty yesterday um, at the Daughters of Utah, the Pioneers. Utah Pioneers, and it was a ditty that went, goes like this. We don't have the melody. Grantsville for money, Tuella for blood, Pine Canyon for babies, and E.T. for mud. And I, none of those lines meant anything to me, but I'd say about half the people in the audience there knew exactly what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. So every line is loaded with local symbolism. E.T., by the way, I'll let Hal explain what E.T. Well, means. I, I had no idea what E.T. was, but it was Ezra Taft City, oh. which is uh, where Stansbury Park is now. There's a, a grist mill there. Uh, but it used to be called E.T. City. Right. And uh, Oak Canyon, for instance, was where the Shields lived, and they had 17 children. So yeah. that's where they have babies. And we're not sure about blood. Uh, maybe uh, Tooele was a violent place, for instance. So th this would get you into the, the very local history of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It would reflect that, that yeah. history. Yeah, so we need the help of local people to, to really understand these songs. They're yeah. not just – I mean, they're, sometimes they're silly – 
but they're also loaded with information if you really understand what the what they were yeah. saying. This would be a good time to, to bring in a comment on our Facebook page. By the way, Joseph Anderson has <laughs> liked our post. We have a picture of, of uh, Hal Cannon and Gary Eller here. Good old uh, black and white photo. Um, makes it a little more old-timey. Eddie Berry has responded, and I tried to, to, to broaden this out, so wherever your region is, you know, send us in songs. She says, our region, in, in quotes, our region means whose region? After all, a rather large proportion of your, in quotes, listeners ain't from around here, uh, says Eddie, <laughs> Eddie Berry. So <laughs> I guess that, you know, uh, and the way I wa- want to rephrase that question is, you can respond to it as is, but uh, I'm interested in, you probably find some things that are universal and some things that are very local, Pro- probably go back and forth. Yeah, uh, you do. And, and I mean, I think one of the great wins of uh, modern <clears throat> technology is that you can you can have music from anywhere in the world anytime you want. And uh, and a lot of the young musicians are employing uh, musical stylings from you know Africa and Asia and vocal stylings from the Middle East. And I mean, it's beautiful uh, the way that we can uh, bring uh, music together at this point. But also we're really interested in regional music from wherever. Uh, you know, I'd love to be able to, I, I was with my uh, uh, nephew and he plays uh, Chinese music and he's, he's not of Chinese origin, but he plays Chinese instruments, speaks Chinese. And um, he says, well, I wish that we could find, you know, railroad, Chinese railroad songs. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, I'm sure there were such things in the 1860s, but who knows? I, they were never recorded. They're probably, there's no, no such thing in an archive. So you're right. They're, I mean, what region are you from? What ethnicity are you from? You know, what class did you come out of? I mean, uh, there's so many variables in uh, what music means to people. And it's just hard to, to, uh, to you know, that's what folklorists do is they sort of classify all that stuff. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, um, Hal and I are both involved with a wide variety of music. I mean, I play banjo in a very progressive bluegrass band, and that's as far away from what we're doing here today as you can imagine and still being in the acoustic music uh, realm. So what we're after here in this search is um, very narrowly focused um, research project in a way. Yeah. Uh, so. uh, how can you also play, uh, play in Red Rock Rondo <laughs> yeah. and some other, uh, some, other, some other bands? Yeah. I wonder, um, this is a little unfair to, to ask you on the, on the spot, but since you both play a little more modern music and you research this older music, are, is there any, a bridge that you can think of? Is there any progression that you could demonstrate for us, perhaps? Well, I could, I'd, I'd like to sing... Um, uh, one called uh, Alone Town or Hometown, and um, I, pl- I play this in a group uh, down in Virgin called the Three Hat Trio, and it's a very, I don't know, almost uh, jazz-oriented. Um, it's acoustic bass uh, and violin and banjo, and uh, uh, anyway, this is a song that we do. And uh, Okay, and I imagine that uh, just about anything you do in, in bluegrass folk would would have some roots you could you could trace some roots way back yeah uh so now uh hal cannon's on the banjo gary eller has picked up the mandolin (laughs) yeah and this is a song i wrote and it's 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 a funny combination it's it's autobiographical in some ways uh sort of feeling like things change so quickly you don't know your hometown uh this year from last year and uh, also uh uh I met a guy in Downey, Idaho, an old man, who told me that he doesn't know anyone on Main Street, but he knows everyone in the cemetery mm-hmm. when he walks down the lane of the cemetery. Yeah. So that's uh, that inspired this song, too. Before you uh, do the song, let me uh, promote uh, your appearances in uh, Brigham City and Logan. Hal Cannon and Gary Eller, musicologists, folklorists, and musicians are with us. We're talking about their project in which they're searching for the early songs of eastern Idaho and northern Utah. And so they have concerts in that series tonight in Brigham City, 730, Brigham City Fine Arts Center. And uh, this, uh, I think, Bridger Folk Music Society is involved with this concert as well, the one in uh, Logan. That's happening tomorrow night, 730, Whittier Community Center. So you have an opportunity to go and hear 
uh, Hal Cannon and uh, Gary Eller, and perhaps you'll hear some um, some, some poetry or some uh, written verse uh, that they've uh, dug up uh, from your town, and certainly be hearing some songs from the era. Uh, so that uh, those concerts are happening. Brigham City tonight, 7.30, Brigham City Fine Arts Center, and uh, Logan at the Whittier Community Center tomorrow night at 7.30. Uh, Bridger Folk Music Society is involved there. And I do want to mention as well, put in a plug for a couple of uh, folklore conferences. It's all converging here. Folklore is the theme this weekend. The Association of Western States Folklorists are uh, meeting in Logan, and as well as the Western States Folklore Society is is here, I think, both of them at uh, Utah State University. So uh, if you'd like to uh, go to, uh, to either of those, you can just Google them, Western States Folklore Society or the Association of Western States Folklorists. And I'll put in one more plug. The Bridger Folk Music Society is celebrating its 35th year, which is, which is just amazing. Uh, so I want to put in a plug for them. So anyway, uh, uh, tell us again what we're going to hear. This is called Hometown. I'll just play it. Could just be the new street lights that shine so hard and blue. Could be just the traffic, now I don't have a clue. Powell's used to live right there, that's where I broke my foot. An old man Powell chased his home right in this neighborhood. This is my hometown, it's now a lone town. Alone in the town where I grew up. This is my hometown, it's now a lone town, alone in the town where I grew up. And I want down Main Street to pass faces on the block, but not one person knew my name as I went on my walk. The coffee shop is gone now, it's now just level ground. Latte crowd is moving in, the pride of this small town. This is my hometown, it's now a lone town. Alone in the town where I grew up. This is my hometown, it's now a lone town. Alone in the town where I grew up. Now I'm in the graveyard, walking down the lane. And every stone that I pass by, they're all familiar names. I'm glad no one is watching as I go down the path, greeting all my old dear friends as though they never pass. This is my hometown, it's now a lone town, alone in the town where I grew up. This is my hometown, it's now a lone town, alone in the town where I grew up. Tell us again the title. Hometown. Hometown. Yeah. I, I, I do like the, the the scene where he's walking through the graveyard. Yeah. He knows more people in the graveyard now than, yeah. than, yeah. than live people. I think a lot of us, I mean, with all the change, we sort of feel that. So that's obviously not a historical song, although it has uh, some of my background as a folklorist and also as a radio producer. I've interviewed hundreds of people for NPR. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll hear more music uh, from Gary Eller and uh, Hal Cannon, or performed by, by them. They're noted uh, musicologists and musicians, and they are on a quest. They're searching for early songs of eastern Idaho and northern Utah. They've been in Rexburg and Pocatello, Soda Springs. Grantsville was yesterday, and uh, tonight is Brigham City. Brigham City Fine Arts Center is the concert, 7.30 p.m. And then that same time, tomorrow night, in Logan at the Whittier Community Center. And involved in these concerts is Bridger Folk Music Society. Uh, you are welcome to, and uh, 
these uh, two folklorists would be grateful to you if you could point them a direction of early songs of, of these areas, specifically Brigham City and Logan. We would love to have your comment now at 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com. Tell us how folk music is going in your community, and perhaps you have an old song or story you'd like to share with us. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page as well. More following the break. Playing a little hockey can really do wonders for your French horn technique. At least that's what the teenage French horn player on this week's From the Top claims. Now, if you think that's far-fetched, wait until you hear his rock-solid performance. You'll reconsider. Christopher O'Reilly here, and he's just one of the excellent young musicians on this week's From the Top. Friday afternoon at 2, and a Sunday night at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU Extension 4-H and Youth Wildlife Habitat Evaluation Program, teaching young people valuable lessons about wildlife management, conservation, leadership, team building, citizenship, and communication. Information at utah4h.org. And by Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3. Offering a housed pickled vegetable demi-baguette sandwich with tomato jam. Menu details at crumbbrothers.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're hearing some great music pre-radio era. It's uh, pre-about 1923. Gary Eller, you chose that day because that's when radio came to Idaho. Is that what... Yeah, that's, said, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good cutoff date. That's a little bit arbitrary. But. Right. But, uh, you know, pre about the 1920s. And when radio came to any given area, then the music became much more homogenized, that the idea, and, and uh, lost distinctive character of a region, I guess, in the music. Yeah, and some other things happened. For example, an example I like to use is the Car- great Carter family that every folky knows. And um, I'm here to tell you that nobody would know, probably wouldn't know who the Carter family is today if uh, so many of the recordings hadn't been made and put out in commercial form uh, over the years. And so uh, everybody, a lot of, a lot of the uh, roots musicians in Idaho would have heard those recordings and then they would start singing about Virginia. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I guess that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So the songs you're searching for, along with Hal Cannon, uh, are d- d- uh, songs that very much reflect a local character of a place. Yep. And you've been in Rexburg and Pocatello, Soda Springs, and Grantsville, and uh, so you're uh, be, uh, I guess, searching around Brigham City today. Uh, how can and then concerts, of course, each evening. And so concert to tonight in the Brigham City Fine Arts Center, 7:30 p.m. And then tomorrow you're in Logan, and that culminates in a concert, 7:30 p.m. Whittier Community Center, Bridger Folk Music Society involved in in these as as well. Uh, have you? Uh, Gary, have you been surprised with some of the things you've found in this most recent project? <laughs> uh, well, I'm always continually surprised, yeah. Um, and we were talking during the break a little bit about um, other places things come from, surprises. Uh, I had a several, I collected several really interesting songs that have come to me from family collections. Uh, been lying around for 100 years in uh, fair, family heirlooms. I have no doubt this region has lots of interesting songs of that type. But, you know, uh, there's no way for us to even know they exist if people don't bring them to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if they're just handwritten lyrics, uh, we can work with that. So we would love to find uh, a few songs of that and bring them back to life and, mm-hmm. and make them accessible to future generations. Great. By the way, on our website, we'll put contact information for uh, Gary Eller and Hal Cannon so you can... Uh, get those songs to them through us. In the meantime, you could call us at 1-800-826-1495, email information at upraxis at gmail.com, or post that to our Utah Public Radio uh, Facebook page. That is a good point. If it's uh, lying in your family documents or heirlooms, that's nice for your family, but uh, you'd like for families to share that. I think that could be wonderful, yeah. yeah. And then where does it end up? Where do these songs end up? Well, project. we both do different things with these materials. Uh, I'll let Hal speak for his, but uh, for me, the uh, um, the end result is preservation 
And so I publish uh, interpretive booklets that typically run 80 pages with CDs in them. And the booklets are interpret the songs and give lyrics and backgrounds and cultural backgrounds at the time. And they wind up in major libraries around Idaho and Utah and Library Congress. And then, of course, we make those available to the public and do performances. But really, to me, the bottom line is getting them permanently preserved in libraries, major libraries, so the next person that's interested doesn't have to work as hard as I did to find them. Yeah, so they're accessible. Hal Cannon, where do, where do things you know, end up on your project? Um, I try to distribute, if we collect, like in Grantsville, they're doing a, a project with a song cycle project right now where they're mm-hmm. writing songs about Grantsville and they're collecting old songs. So the material from our research yesterday will go back to, it'll probably end up in the DUP Museum at the Clark Historical, uh, Historical Farm. But um, also, I mean, the end place, I guess, for most of mine is either the Western Folklife Center, which I'm the founding director of in Elko, Nevada. But the fact is a lot of the things that I do end up in the Five Folklore Archive here at Utah State University in special collections. Um, I played in a band for 30 years called the Deseret String Band uh, that's pretty well known, and we traveled a lot. And we collected uh, a lot of music, and uh, and all of our collection has gone to USU. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm pretty dedicated to this university, too, mm-hmm. even though I was never a student here. Well, we appreciate that. Well, <laughs> it's a let, great place for folklore. Uh, it really is. It really is. Uh, by the way, that's a good segue for to uh, plug a couple of conferences happening on the USU campus uh, this weekend. Uh, conferences of the Association of Western States Folklorists and also the Western States Folklore Society. Just Google either of those organizations, get registration information, you can go and uh, attend some events. Well, let's, uh, we're, we're uh, coming down uh, to the last about five minutes of the program. Love to hear a, a song or two. What are we going to hear? Well, let's do a song that I wrote. Because uh, part of what we're trying to do is stimulate regional musicians to celebrate the stories that they have here that could be celebrated in songs. And this is a... Um, based on an article from the Idaho Statesman I found in September 1870. Um, I've, uh, it was about Hispanic muleteers coming to Idaho. And uh, there was a legend of a ghost of the muleteer that got killed um, that persisted, actually persists to this day in the foothills of Boise. It goes like this. Miguel Soto was an honest and a hard-working man Learned to skin a mule in 49 Packing in the grub, the red eye and the tools For the men in the high Sierra mines Salmon mines were booming when he came to Idaho Packing grub from Boise up to Loon in fall of 1870, he sold off all his stock, three grand in gold, singing him a tune. Miguel soon would be leaving Idaho for good, going back to California at last. This Dulce Corazon was awaiting patiently. His hard time packing freight would soon be passed. Mutrain, Miguel drove a phantom train. At Cottonwood near Boise, he camped one final night, cooked some bacon and some beans for the day. Well, no good thieving outlaw shot him in the head. He took the gold and quickly stole away. Troops from old Fort Boise rode out to the scene to catch the killer, but they rode in vain. Cause all they ever found 
was Miguel Soto's ghost giving orders to a phantom U-Train. 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 Miguel drove a phantom U-Train. For many years thereafter, near Miguel's final camp, on the sagebrush flats and up the dusty draws. Honest men would swear they heard Miguel Soda's ghost giving orders and a yelling GN hard. Miguel drove a phantom U train. Miguel drove a phantom U train. Very good. Tell us the title again. Phantom Mule Train. Phantom Mule Train. That that's your composition. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. We'll have to end with that. We're uh, just about out of time. Uh, just time to tell you that you have an opportunity to go and hear Gary Eller and Hal Cannon. They're noted folklorists, musicians, musicologists. They're on a, uh, a quest to find the early songs pre 1920s of Eastern Idaho and Northern Utah. And the events left in the series are in Brigham City tonight, 7:30, Brigham City Fine Arts Center. And tomorrow night, 7.30, Logan, uh, in Logan, Whittier Community Center. Bridger Folk Music Society involved with uh, those concerts as well. We'll put uh, contact information up on our website, upr.org, uh, for that. So, uh, Hal Cannon, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Thanks a lot. And you all come. Yes, definitely. Uh, you can hear much more of what you've been hearing today. Gary Eller, thanks. Yes, thanks for inviting us. And uh, for uh, producers uh, Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to go out with uh, an interesting feature uh, from our reporter, Ali Snow. Uh, music played a major role in World War I, both in uniting soldiers in a rhythm and a march, and also in uniting a nation behind a cause. So UPR's Ali Snow spoke with graduate music students at Utah State University who will be presenting a program on Saturday, which will combine both music and research from this era. The event will commemorate the centennial anniversary of the beginning of World War I. Irving Berlin once declared, the history of America can be traced through its music. Graduate students from the Music History Seminar course at USU will be tracing the events that occurred in World War I through music and lecture. Their goal is to present how music reflects the complex sentiments that come with fighting in a war, and, in turn, how music itself influenced individuals during that time. Brody Craney, a graduate student in piano performance and pedagogy, will be one of the presenters at the event. You know, when I was uh, thinking about talking with you today, there was a, a great, great author, Glenn Watkins, who wrote a book about music in World War I. He says that music reminds us of its capacity to incite and to calm, to preach and to moralize, to jeer and to cheer, and finally, to lament and memorialize. Collectively, it offered a heady mixture that traversed the entire landscape between heaven and hell. And as we think about World War I, there's, there's the patriotic anthems that come in each nation. There are the marches as we send soldiers off to war, all the way to the, the laments and lullabies of soldiers gone and the, and the horrors of war. Students will present a wide spectrum of musical genres and styles from this period. Performances of works by composers such as Holst, Cohen, Stravinsky, McCroon, Vincent, and Debussy will be on the program. Over there, over there, the uh, a particular piece that I'll be uh, performing is called Over There by George M. Cohen. Uh, he received a Congressional Gold Medal from uh, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, for that piece, amongst others. Uh, that particular song is where we get the, uh, the, the phrase, uh, the Yanks are coming. And uh, it's a great marching tune, and it's a little bit of the lighter side of, of when we send soldiers off to war as opposed to when we don't get to see them come back home. Associate Professor of Musicology, 
Dr. Christopher Shear, says his class has spearheaded this event as a final project to mark this very significant cultural anniversary on the USU campus. Well, music uh, can be a kind of reflection, a mirror of culture of the time, and in it we can sense, you know, what it was like to be there at that time, to have those experiences. Many composers went to war during the First World War and came back and had to deal with what they saw, what they did, and what happened through uh, their art, not just composers, in fact, you know, visual artists and writers and so on. The event will be held on the Utah State University campus in the Fine Arts Building, room 214, Saturday, April 12th at 6.30 p.m. For Utah Public Radio, this is Allie Snow. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. I'm Megan Van Frank. The old Hotel Utah has a storied history of hospitality that is shadowed by the racial prejudice common throughout Utah right into the 1960s. Learn more after this. The Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by the Utah Humanities Council with support from a We the People grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. Located on South Temple and Main Street in downtown Salt Lake City, the venerated Hotel Utah was known in its day as the Great White Palace. It hosted heads of state, United States presidents, and Hollywood greats. Yet when the internationally celebrated opera singer Marian Anderson made a concert stop in Utah in 1937, she couldn't find a hotel room. Anderson was African American. When she returned a year later, the Hotel Utah relented, as long as she used the freight elevator and didn't eat in the public dining room. Anderson's experience was one of many Utah examples of racial discrimination that also included other noted entertainers. Paul Robeson, Harry Belafonte, Ella Fitzgerald, and Lionel Hampton were all directed to the back elevator and ate meals in their rooms. In 1954, Frontier Magazine compared discrimination in Utah, Nevada, and Arizona with the American South. This was despite a 1948 Utah law making it a misdemeanor to refuse service to blacks. During this time, Utah Realtors attempted but failed to create segregated neighborhoods in Salt Lake and Ogden. In 1955, Marion Mills, an African-American military veteran, wrote to the Salt Lake Tribune complaining that blacks were required to occupy balcony seats in many local theaters and that certain jobs in Salt Lake were unavailable to blacks, as were most nightclubs and bars. Mills could have also mentioned that hospitals restricted black patients to private rooms and kept separate the plasma of blacks and whites in their blood banks. Utah passed even stricter laws against interracial marriages during the 1950s. When these laws were repealed in 1963, the state barely beat out Wyoming, the last western state to abandon its interracial marriage laws. The African-American population in the Beehive State has grown markedly since then, and the days of the Great White Palace are gone in more ways than one. But is Utah truly free from discrimination? Research and writing for this episode of the Beehive Archive were provided by Rebecca Anderson. Sources and past episodes may be found at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of the Utah Humanities Council, I'm Megan Van Frank. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.